and welcome to another episode of National Leprechaun Museum's Talking Stories, uh, the podcast of folklore, mythology, storytelling and Irish culture from the National Leprechaun Museum in Dublin, Ireland. I'm Eleanor and joining me today is, of course, Mark. Hello, Mark. Hello, Eleanor, and hello, everyone else listening to this. We're back. This is a treat. We've gotten to do uh, two podcasts in a row together. Yeah. Uh, it feels like the, the good old days, way back in September <laughs> of 2020, which feels like a lifetime ago. It, it, it does, and long may it stay that way. Yeah, yeah it, but things are changing. Things are changing. Like now, of course, that the museum is, is back open again, we've gotten to see each other you know, more. And of course, we're adding to our ranks over the next while yes, indeed. as well. And we have recently with it you know, being joined by Tara. But um, yeah, it's just it's kind of nice. And it's that feeling, it's like... You know, it's July now. It's the summer summer. Yeah, it's um it's it's not a summer like we've had in the past, but it, it's it's so strange to think like the summer we've been hoping for all these dark winter months is finally here. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, I'm really enjoying it. Of course we even got to have a day out. We did. Yeah, we all all the storytellers, well not just the storytellers, everyone from the museum essentially got to meet up by the sea. Yes indeed. We had a lovely day at the beach. Uh, we sat out in the sun, uh, some of us took a little paddle in the waves uh, or played in the sand and we did a bit of sunbathing, we looked in the rock pools and of course we had some chips at the end. Oh, they needed, they were the most incredible chips I'd ever had. Chips with, with um, seaweed salt, I don't know what makes salt seaweed salt, but I mean it upped the price tag of the chips but I felt like I could taste, I could taste it. You could taste it, and yeah. it was worth every cent, Mark. Yes, I know, because we didn't pay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was great just to be out. And it's, I don't know, being outdoors, obviously, it's safer as well. We're distanced from each other, but, yeah, taking a paddle in the water, finding some sea glass and mm. hidden treasures along mm. the way. And it was strange, from the entire time we were out there, not a, to- not a story was told. No, we were we were making memories. We were making stories we, we for were, later. And it was a couple of weeks before we did that that myself and Paddy, of course, went out to the same beach to record "Talking the Sea." Yes, indeed, um, which you can watch on YouTube. Yeah, so we, we we you know haven't been out there. We thought this would be perfect for a day out. Let's you know take advantage of of the quiet midweek and and go enjoy the sun together. And like you say, make new memories. Yeah, it was so nice, you know, after being apart from each other for so long, before the museum opened up properly and things, you know, we got straight back into in, into work um, to, to go take some time as a group, you know? Yeah, 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 no, no, it was fantastic. Because, you know, you need those, you need to build those memories, you need those those day out, you mm-hmm. know? We stayed within Dublin, it was, it was, it was nice. Yeah. yeah. Let's have more of that. Let's make it an annual thing. We should. We see these people doing their like live podcasts from on location. Um, actually, I don't want to do that. That'd be too much like work. Yeah. This is wanna, our day, guys. Yeah, I don't want to take the recorder into the sea either. <laughs> I think I spent as much time in the water as I did out of the water. But yeah. I think I think for a group to come together, it's really important that you get to you know spend time in each other's company and see where you're like outside of work. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. And of course, we're like, we're not the only ones to do it. It's nice to see other groups of people, friends being able to see each other again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, family units kind of meeting up outdoors, you know, again, all within the guidelines and other restrictions. But, um, yeah, it's just mm-hmm. pleasant to do. Yeah. And that's something that it's really nice 
to be able to facilitate in the museum, you know, um, friends and family who mightn't have seen each other for a while getting to do something yeah Fun. yeah we're like we're seeing like even seeing couples coming in on dates okay you still can't like kind of like eat indoors but you can you can have experiences you can go to galleries and, and museums and it's nice to see people kind of meeting up and we, we we're part of their memories yeah i mean they won't remember us but they'll remember the stories they were told and and how we made them feel mm-hmm. that's the main thing but we have Polly telling us a story today and i think I think this story is quite reminiscent of our day out at the beach, if if not a little bit more eventful. Quite eventful, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the um, the boys of the Fianna, Fionn McCool and his dogs and their mates, uh, tried to have a nice day out in Sligo, and it all goes a bit topsy-turvy for them. It does. Mind you, they seem to spend a lot of time outdoors together, aren't they? They're always off on a hunt. Yeah, they are. But yeah. Um, so I mean, now we're we're hardly in a position to complain, though it's not like our job is is not full of joy as well. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the Fina going off for a for a little jolly for the day, <laughs> uh, heading off to Sligo to to roam the hills and valleys. Well, I think the best thing to do, rather than us talking about, it, is, to, is to let Party tell the story in a way that only Party can. Yes, this is a really, really fun telling. And we're so glad to have Paddy back telling a story on the podcast again. So we'll leave you in his capable, lovely hands. The Cave of Keshkorn. One fine, bright day, Finn and Nafinia are out hunting. Finn and his best friend Conan, along with his two favourite dogs, Bran and Skjolan, are standing on the hill of Keshkorn while the rest of the warriors are down in the valley driving or beating the prey up towards them. Finn isn't the only one watching the hunt, though, for watching closely is the king of the fairies, Conan, at the time. Conan hates Finn McCool, Well, he hates all humans, but he hates Finn McCool in particular. Before you feel too sorry for Finn, remember that the hill of Keshkorn is an enormous fairy mound. Finn is essentially standing on the roof of his worst enemy's house with his best friend, two of his favourite dogs, conducting a hunt. Oh, I don't know about you, but if I woke up tomorrow to find... My worst enemy on the roof of my house with two of his favourite dogs, maybe drinking a few cans. I wouldn't be too happy about it, would you? No. Luckily for the king of the fairies, though, he has four daughters and uglier females of any species never before trod the turf of Ireland. They each stood well over six foot four. They had thick black wiry hair and bright red glowing eyes. Their black twisted mouths were full of fangs and their heads could spin around in any direction, 360 degrees, like horrible, sickly owls. At the ends of their double-jointed fingers were not ordinary nails, but massive spikes that could skewer a man and the hair flowing out from their noses, 
came all the way down to their toes. Their names were Quillen, Quavog, Irn, and Irnok. Though Irnok will only come into the story a little later on. The three sisters present turn to their father, who says, My sweetums, Finn is alone. Let us seize our chance. The sisters link hands around their father, spinning around and around in a circle, singing, Finn thinks he is safe, but who knows when the sky will fall. Finn thinks he is safe, but who knows when the sky will fall. As if from nowhere, the three sisters became visible to Finn and Conan. Conan turns to his master, saying, Well, you couldn't call them handsome. You could, said Finn, but you'd be lying. Quickly, sir, let us away from here. But we are Nafinia, said Finn. We should be afraid of nothing. I am not afraid, Finn. I merely want to keep my good opinion of women. No, let us be bold, said Finn. Let us attempt to steal one of the whiskers coming out from their noses. And with that, the two men boldly strode up to the females. Now, each of the sisters had these enormous holly branches. Now, the holly tree doesn't normally get to much of a size, but when it gets really old, properly ancient, it makes this beautiful silvery white timber. And the sisters were reeling yarn around the holly branches, around and around and around and around. And the closer the two men came to the enchanted holly branches, the weaker and weaker they became until they were as weak as babes in arms. The sisters then tied up the two men and trundled them into the back of the cave of Keshkorn. Some more of Nafinia arrive looking for their leader, but they too fall weak at the magic holly branches and are trundled into the back of the cave of Keshkorn. This one is very fat, said Quavog, and she played with the man, rolling him along like a wheel. You've seen uh, children play with a wheel and a stick. Well, that's how Quavog played with one of the members of Nafinia. Now the warriors are deep down in the blackest part of the cave of Keshkorn. Finn turns to Conan, saying, What'll we do at all? Oh, I haven't the faintest idea. I can't see how things could get any worse. But outside, in the distance, they hear a growling, a howling, a yowling, a yelping, as the dogs of Nafinia arrived, summoned by the chief dogs Bran and Skjolon, and trailed by the master of the hounds, Gull Mokmurna, Gull of the One Eye. The sisters, upon seeing Gull, turned to one another, saying, Let us kill this one, for he thought to escape death by arriving late. And they rounded on the man, reaching for their wicked fairy blades. 
Though Goldbach Mourner had only one eye, he parried every blow from the sisters. Days seemed to pass in moments. A horrible rain came in from the east, and a horrible wind came in from the west. With one mighty blow, Golmach Morna separated two of the sisters right down the middle, such that there were knees and toes to the left, noses and whiskers to the right. The third sister leaped up onto Gull's back, saying, I demand your protection. Now, the way that the High King kept the warrior bands in line is that there was a very strict code of conduct. Surprisingly, murder was not off the cards. But there was one law unbreakable. If a woman should ask for your protection, then you are obliged to give it. So strange as it might seem, this woman is asking Golmach Morna for protection from himself. And Gol isn't exactly known to be one of the most careful followers of the law. So she says, spare me and I will lift the enchantment on the other 200 men. Gol, of course, agrees and she scampers off into the dense uh, woodland. The two hundred men emerge from the cave of Keshkorn, blinking in the harsh sunlight. Who should arrive but the fourth sister, bigger and uglier than the other three combined? She topped well over seven foot. Finn turned to his son, Oshin, saying, Oshin, my dear heart, kill her for me. Oh, I could not, father, for I am still too weak. Oscar, my grandson, surely you will bring the monster down. But Oscar, in his youth, said nothing. Only his knees and ankles trembled in fright. Gull Mokmurna stepped forward, hands on hips, saying, I will finish what I started. And though the sound of their clashes rang out in the heavens, it wasn't long before she too lay split on the ground, her black poisonous blood killing all around it. When the battle was over, the dust finally settled. Finn turned to Gull, saying, I have a daughter. A beautiful girl, sir a blossom of the dawn. She will be your wife, said Finn. She will be my wife, said Gull. And that is how Gull Mokmurna, whom many men became known to call the man a coward, became married to the most beautiful daughter of Finn McCool. This is particularly strange because... Unbeknownst to some, Gull Mokmurna had murdered Finn's father. So Gull Mokmurna became married to the most beautiful daughter of Finn McCool. Let us set aside for a moment the frankly, um, uh, um, how should I say this, um, the frankly terrible way that marriages were arranged in the ancient world. 
And think of the one person in your life who always arrives to the party late. Who couldn't keep an appointment to save their lives. Who rings you up and tells you I'll be there in ten minutes. But you don't expect them for another hour and a half. Remember that everyone arrives exactly where they're supposed to be. At exactly the right time. Well is right. <laughs> <laughs> that was Paddy with the Enchanted Caves of Keshkaran. And I don't know if I've ever heard a better telling of it. I, I haven't. And I mean, and I've heard Paddy tell that quite a few times, but that, I think that's that's classic Paddy. Mm. I became so aware of even like listening to it that time around. Was that, because yeah. I was literally hanging on every word he said. Mm. He is an art, like I mean, he's painting the picture. There's some mm. moments in that initially just setting up the, the conflict at the start. Yes. And the idea of, like, your enemy standing on the roof with a few cans. It felt like, you know, Paddy's enemy was up on his roof right now. Yeah, he seemed bitter about yeah, it. Yeah, like, he I, really I, did. I, I think he was pulling from something. Uh, yeah. He was drawing on something there. Paddy, uh, do you need us to go and, like, talk to someone? Yeah, do we need to talk to your, like, a neighbour or something like that? <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, it was just, I know, sometimes it was, obviously, his description of the sisters is fabulous, you know? Yeah. But even the matchiness of standing with the hand on the hips is a, I don't know, almost like a high-end pantomime kind of villain. It's, it's... Yeah, there were, there were the highs and lows, you know? Yeah. Uh, he knew when to, to, to lean into the the, the, the the battle and the drama and, you know, when to... Because there's parts of it where, like, um, before they get into serious trouble, Fionn and Conan are, you know, like James Bond almost. Yeah. Standing on top of the hill with their arched eyebrows. And yeah. Their, you know, I wouldn't call them handsome. <laughs> yeah, so that's where, like, it's, it's a, I want to see, I want to see that on stage. Yeah. But I want to see the men played as women and the women played as men. Like the ugly stepsister thing, it's very, it's very pantomime to me. And I'm picturing, of course, Rick Mayer again as uh, Flashheart or Baron Flashheart. In um, Paddy's descriptions of the the, the the three sisters, the three daughters, um, I mean, they're so like it. It's there's so much in it. They're, they're so fun. It reminded me of Roald Dahl. Yeah, a lot of the t- in this sort of the the delight in this in this ugliness and this horribleness, yeah. horror, you know, um, that Roald Dahl often had in, in his books and his yeah. storytelling. Um, but the the descriptions are just delightful, you know, and well, they're grotesque, grotesque, and they're, yeah, and it's like... you know, but but in a, in a, in a fun way, they're going. Even when they gather around their father, because your picture is like these these yeah. little girls in pigtails, but of course they're like six foot four. They're they're women. Yeah, and they're singing their song and they're chanting. Nose hair swaying. Oh, I can't <laughs> say. At my age now, there's there's hair everywhere, Eleanor. It just says bar on the top of my head. Uh, but Thanks for picking us that picture, Mike. You're very well. Listen, if you've listened to that story, you're not going to be put off by me making that comment. <laughs> um, but it's it is it's, it's a fabulous kind of tapestry of a, you know what I mean. I'd I'd love to see it animated. I want to see it on stage, but it's it's because it's so visual. Yes. But yeah, and it, it's different. I mean, there's no 
well, yes, there is dead death and his head's been lopped off in it, but no one we care about. No, it's not the most tragic story or anything. It's a grand adventure. It is, and it's like our day out at the beach. It was just like something that had to be done and, and things went wrong and there were there were enemies and there were side eye. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm sure all those things. Those seagulls were quite perilous. Uh, who I, wanted uh, The birds who wanted our chips as well. Mm-hmm. They were, I felt, I felt in danger. <laughs> I feared for my life at several points on the beach. That's because you were, you were sort of egging them on, though. You were daring them to approach you, sitting on the ground. I was feeding them as well. I mean, at the end of the day, like, we're all... I understand the pangs of hunger. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but again, sorry, back to the story and, and away from the beach. It's just even to see the relationship between Gull McMorna and, and, and Finn McCool. It feels unnatural when I say Finn. Yeah, not to be a purist or anything. I think that in the museum we mostly stick to Fionn McCool, but I would never say to anybody, no, Finn is wrong. It's Fionn. Yeah, well, I do, but you're just a much better person than me. Um, and, of course, it's not wrong, it's just different. It's just different, it's you just know. just different and wrong. And it has <laughs> changed over the years. It has, yeah, but we were only talking about this looking at books where we see the story of Finn and the dragon. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's not quite right. But listen, anything that has people telling these stories, listen to these stories, it's hard to, you know, you know, it's hard to have an issue with them. Yeah. And I suppose we went back to the earlier, and you can't say original, given that it's, you know, all starts with the spoken word. When you go back to the earlier ones, they wouldn't be as potties just told it there. No. That's... That's just a rich, modern telling of the story. And you can tell that Poddy's enjoying it. Oh, yeah. And that lets us enjoy it all the more. I felt like it was only like a few minutes, ten minutes long story, and it just, it doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't. But it it does that thing of of great storytelling just transports you. Yes. Yeah. We'll have to go over to those caves and visit them. We will. I'd love to, because we haven't, I mean, I I know on, on our field trips we've been to, like, we've been to a coal mine. But I think I'd like to visit the caves of Keshkorn and, of course, the cave where Dermot and Grania hide out as well. Yes. Have you done much cave visiting around Ireland? Have you ever been to the Alloway Caves? or Not the Alloway Caves, but I have been to Ireland's most historically significant caves, and those are the Dunmore Caves in oh County my. Kilkenny. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Cha-ching, there's your money coming in from the tourist, Kilkenny <laughs> tourist board there now. Um, <laughs> But uh, I've never been to those ones, actually. Oh, they're really good. There's um, these um, steps you have to go down deep, deep, deep. So um, um, they found Viking gold and silver down there and also parts of a Viking dress. And that's scraps of fabric uh, were worth far more than all the gold and silver down there. It was very, very, very high-end. Something... um, Fabrics. I think they they found say maybe I don't know some sort of thread or silk or brocade from Asia or something, on wow. this this scrap of of fabric in a Kilkenny cave. Um, there was a uh, a group. There's groups of women and children that were found to have hid from Viking raids down in the caves yeah. when Dame Alice Kittler, the the witch of Kilkenny. Uh, escaped from prison after being convicted of witchcraft. She hid in the caves for a while. And then if you fast forward to the 1920 and the the War of Independence here in Ireland, uh, Michael Collins sent some of his um, local flying columns in Kilkenny down into the caves to to check it out if it would be a good hiding spot. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I love I love a good cave, so I'll have to go check in. Check in. It's really those. good. The tour is great. <laughs> You're really excited about this. No, I remember because I've been like two or three times just on different school tours, and it's a it's a. Have you been back as an adult? No. Get that sort. Would I you? will. Get yeah. back on that. Tell them I said hello, and I'll be down. <laughs> put the kettle on, <laughs> and I'll arrive down. Um, but yeah, I just I want to stand on the like we're very lucky, of course. We're blessed in the museum that we do get to visit the locations, and it yeah. informs our storytelling so so much. Um, I was talking earlier on about the legend not Grafton, of course, having mm-hmm. been to the Mont Bailey a couple of times. Uh, I went off recently on travels around Ireland, you know, to Roscommon and Longford, and I went to a little place called Granard. Oh, yes. And uh, I went up, I went up a Motten Bailey there where they have the old kind of like wooden castle, which is long gone. Wow. But it's amazing to see like how the story, the stories kind of work with it because that's, that's what it was, a story of a pot of gold down there that's guarded by a wild rabbit that leech it. Wow. And um, of course it's a Motten Bailey, which means there would have been stuff buried in the hill anyway. Mm. So the story of there being a pot of gold buried in it, and there's a white thorn tree at the bottom of it, which they say is where it's it's buried. But back in 2017, it made the news because some blackguards, Eleanor, <gasps> some bowsies, uh, dug a meter a meter wide hole into the bottom of the hill, and they don't know. No one was caught for it, and they don't know if they actually took anything from the hill. Oh my God! Such was the destruction. Um, they couldn't tell if anything had been taken, but. I mean, local stories like that are just are what you want. You want to go and feel that ground beneath your feet. You do. Um, and it's fantastic that we can actually travel around the country now and, and do that. Yeah, I know. The restrictions were, were there for good reason, you know what of I mean? Course. And it got us into a good spot. But it's nice to be able to, like, you know, hop in the car or hop in a train and... We only live on a little island, you know? We do. It's so yeah. handy. It's so easy. Just we now know, having listened to party, that if we do go to somewhere, just to be careful, you don't know who's, whose house you're dancing on. Yes, indeed. I, I found that there's actually um, a pishog, or a pishog, um, that warns against meddling with the caves of Geshgarin because there's a big lake inside the hill, and if it's disturbed then the lake will be unplugged and it'll release a, a deluge, a flood. Oh, I'd be into that. I'd be all right with that. Bit of a bath. Bit of, bit of a bath, yeah. <laughs> Haven't had one since I got into the sea a few weeks ago. Which was ours. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the piss shows are, are, are really interesting. But, yeah, a lake inside the hill. Yeah. Be into that now. And there's a, I could just imagine, like, a big cork in it or yeah. something. Well, they said the same, like, about the hill of Ishnock, like, in the stone there, that that's... You know, obviously later when Christianity comes to Ireland, they say that's where the biblical floods went. Oh. And if the stone is removed, the floods will come back. And oh, the gosh. land will be washed away. Oh, guys, don't move the, st- don't move the stone. Ah, again, you know, the place could do with a wash down. Yeah. You know, get the garden hose out. <laughs> <laughs> there might be a garden hose ban this year, though. The weather's getting pretty good. Yeah. It's a nice time to go out into the countryside and, and explore these places when it's when it's as fine as it is today. We have the light streaming in through our, our sunlight, our, our skylight above us. Yes, right at the at the top of recording this episode, um, a seagull landed rather noisily there. I don't know if you guys heard. Ah, they, they may have. They yeah. may have. Just to, yeah, now you know. There you go. They're not sound effects. They're not, they're not, you don't edit those in. That was a real seagull. Yeah. So you can read this story 
um, in Irish Fairy Tales by James Stevens, yeah. um, who recorded and, re- and retold and published uh, a lot of uh, Irish fairy stories, including a lot of stories about the Fianna um, at the turn of the century. Um, and there's beautiful little details in it, like he d- describes um, when the, 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 the father, um, Conoran, and, th- and his three daughters you know, plot to end Fionn McCool once and for all, you know, they all, um, each daughter smiles at their father in turn, and they all, like, when I say smile, they all do something really mad, like, one of them um, it unhinges their jaw and moves it from side to side, and that's how she <laughs> smiles. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's like, like, a kind of, I don't know, it's like, anti-otherworld propaganda is how it's, being, it's it's like it's how they kind of portray these like wartime posters it's just it just sounds like propaganda i suppose it is let's make the the bad guys seem like strange and odd and unattractive and the heroes are all handsome and wonderful now you're stripping the fun out of it now Mark. no i don't you know what i'm sure in the other world if i ever get the chance to visit i'm sure they've got bookshelves of of stories told from the other perspective about mm-hmm. these poor, sweet, innocent daughters with their father and their, their, their beautiful relationship and then these ogres, horrible kind of land dwellers who come and mock them and dance on their grave and slaughter them. Mm-hmm. Um, jumping up and down on their roof. Jumping, yeah, calling at them and mocking them and urging them out of their house. I mean, I, I, think, I think, you know, to have both sides of it would be interesting. Ah, you're right, Mark. It I would be great. seldom are. <laughs> it's seldom that I'm right, but in this case, I just think it'd be interesting. Yeah, it'd be great to get our hands on those stories one of mm. these days. Mm. Well, speaking of that, I think we'll leave it there. It's a natural kind of ending to the to the podcast. Mm-hmm. That you know we can't. It would be great to get the 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 other world's version of this story, Conoran's version of this story, or even the version of this story from that third daughter who goes to fight Fionn Cool and then asks for his protection and runs away. What happens yeah. to her? Does oh, she I'm come sure back she and went seek off revenge? And maybe 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 she's there, Fionn Cool. Maybe she goes on to have like tons of adventures. Yeah. What does that mean? There's a version of us in the other world as well. Probably. I think Potty's been swapped out. I think we've got the other world. That makes so much version. sense. Somewhere there is a perfectly just functioning version of Potty lost to the other world. A part of our own, I guess, museum lore, folks, is that um, we don't actually know how old Potty is. No, no. I, I'm, I'm sure I've seen cave drawings depicting potty in them as well <laughs> renaissance paintings yes yes potty is what happens when the changeling isn't given back <laughs> <laughs> but listen we're talking about it but let me speak on behalf of him when i say thank you very much for having him on we really enjoy having potty on the podcast we love it it's we're, always a good time yeah we'll have to swap it around and one of us will do a story and potty will sit in their place but yeah. thank you so much potty for your wonderful story Thank you so much, Mark, for joining. Well, thank you so much, Eleanor, for having me here. <gasps> and I suppose thank you to everyone for listening as well. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much, folks. Uh, please do subscribe if you're not subscribed to the podcast already, and you'll hear about new episodes every two weeks on the 1st and the 15th of every month. Thank you so much again, folks, and I hope you have a lovely week. Goodbye. Bye. 
This episode of National Leprechaun Museum Talking Stories features Marco Geron and Eleanor Walsh. The Enchanted Cave of Keshkaran is told by Paddy Holly. Thanks for listening. Slong Finn thinks he is safe, but who knows when the sky will fall?